Thank you so much for leading us and uh, let me add my welcome to you this morning. This is not a picture of the Kane family holiday, by the way, just in case you were wondering. Um, if you were planning to go on an expedition overseas, say like, I don't know, Nepal, or it involved hill trekking or mountain climbing or the like, uh, in an unfamiliar, unknown territory, and you had a group of your family and friends that had got together and thought this is a good idea, there are some people who do think such things are good ideas, if, if you were in that group and thought that was a good idea, what would you be looking for in your expedition guides? I would suggest the following qualities would be essential. They would need to be physically fit. They would need to be able to lead by example. They would be need to be able to keep you all safe. Watch out for the dangers and all the rest of it on the route. They would be able to give you clear instructions from the route map. And they would be able to get you all to your destination. That's what you'd want, wouldn't you, from an expedition guide? We're returning to 1 Timothy, which we started last year. And to recap where we saw in 1 Timothy, it was a charge that the Apostle Paul had given to um, this young guy, Timothy. And the, the mission he had been given by Paul was to stay in Ephesus. And the primary call that God gives to Timothy is as the pastor of this church, or one of the pastors of this church, I would probably say probably lead pastor of this church, was to guard the church of God. To guard the church of God with the gospel of God because the church was under satanic attack that was taking the form of false teachers who had uh, come in. We also saw last year when we were working through 1 Timothy that that is not unusual. In fact... It is the steady state of affairs that the church of Jesus Christ is on earth, is at war. It is a steady state condition. And one of the dangers that we can be deluded into thinking that in a, in a peacetime mentality, we can let our guard down. We are at war until Jesus himself returns and the enemy is out to destroy us. And one of the ways that God has put into place to protect his flock is by appointing godly leaders, godly expedition guides, if you can use my hill climbing illustration. As Matt prayed, we've begun the consideration phase with John Herring to see if it's the Lord's will for John to join the pastoral staff team of this church. We've been incredibly blessed that since the late 1990s, under the pastorate of Mike Toich, we've had at least two people in full-time ministry in this church, and the Lord has been pleased to bless our efforts, and we pray that will continue. Therefore, because we've reached that crucial stage of consideration, this passage is incredibly helpful for showing us what are the essential qualities that we must have in our leaders So Paul's charge to the Ephesian elders must ring loud and clear in our, in our ears too. Let us pray. Father, please show us Christ. 
as we read your word, as we study your word this morning. And show us what we should expect from those who are called into Christian ministry. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In Acts 20, 28 through 30, let me read them to you. You've got the first, you've got part of verse 28 up there on the screen. Paul says in his farewell to the Ephesian elders, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. And that is exactly what happened Savage wolves did come in and seek to destroy the church of God in Ephesus. Even from their own number, men arose. And Paul introduces them to two of the elders who had abandoned the faith, had become false teachers in chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. Timothy, my son, I give you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and have so suffered shipwrecked with regard to their faith. Among them are Hymenius and Alexander, who I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. So as we're seeking to appoint a new member of the pastoral staff team to the eldership, We need to know, as a church, that he has been gifted by the Lord Jesus with the essential and progressively evident qualities for this onerous task. By the way, no no person who goes into ministry is the finished article. No Christian in this church this morning is the finished article. There is always progress to be made. I get the word progress from the end of chapter 4, verse 16, Paul writes... Watch your life, he's talking to Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Sorry, verse 15. Be diligent in these matters, give yourselves wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. Is my summary of what Paul expects a good minister of Christ Jesus to be. And he says that, a good minister of Christ Jesus, from chapter 4, verse 6. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus. Here's the summary. A good minister of Christ Jesus is a man who will be diligently training himself to be godly so that he can guard God's family from satanic attacks by faithfully teaching God's family God's word and so save himself and his hearers. That's the summary. I'm going to walk through this passage to to, uh, highlight those things. And I was going to say, this of course applies to any and all who are leaders of ministries and leaders of teams within the church. So, let's work through the text. A good minister of Christ Jesus will be 
diligently training himself to be godly. Look at verses 6 through 9. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people and especially of those who believe. How does a minister, how does a servant of Christ, how does someone in Christian leadership and responsibility train themselves to be godly? That's the call, that's the charge in verse 7. Rather train yourselves to be godly. It's about diet and discipline. That's what comes out from this passage. It's about diet and discipline. It's what you do and how you do it. Diet. He will have a healthy diet for what Paul calls the truths of the faith. They'll be nourished on the truths of the faith. He will love the Bible. He will love the doctrines of grace, the truths of the faith, and of the good teaching that he's followed. He'll have a healthy appetite for God's Word. And he'll be able to avoid and recognize junk food. Verse 7, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. By the way, you could binge on a diet of junk food in the Church of Jesus Christ at this time. There's tons of it about. You've only got to look on the interweb and the God Channel stuff. You can download all manner of garbage and binge yourself on it. And Paul says, avoid it. It won't do you any good. So he'll have a healthy diet, but he'll also be highly disciplined in his own spiritual life. Verse 7, train yourselves to be godly. So his daily personal times with the Lord will be preciously guarded. And he will have an appetite to keep him stretching himself intellectually and theologically. One of the ways that you'll see that is that he'll want to learn from other people. He'll have an appetite to grow and go deeper and deeper into, the, into God's Word. He'll want to team up with and meet with like-minded Christian leaders because iron sharpens iron. Why will he be like that? Because he knows and he loves the eternal value of godliness. Verse 8, for physical training is of some value. You can see I devote myself to that sometimes, not much. got a bike. Physical training is of some value... But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Because he knows the value of godliness, not just for his own soul, but for his own family and for God's family as well. It was Robert Murray McShane the Scottish minister who went home to be with the Lord as a very young man, who coined the phrase, what my people need most of all is my godliness. I remember when we were, I wasn't involved in the process, but I know when Bill Summers was being interviewed for the pastorate here, and he was a pastorate before Mike Teutsch, 
he was asked this question, and it's one of the questions we're going to be asking John next week. Which person or persons, alive or dead, outside of the Bible, have had the deepest influence on your Christian life? Good question, isn't it? Bill Summers' answer was Robert Murray McShane. What my people need most of all, said Robert Murray McShane, is my personal godliness. Therefore, verse 9 and 10, he will strive and labor. It'll, it, it does involve hard work. It'll be born out of his blood-bought, sinner-saving hope that he has placed in the living God. You see, he won't pursue godliness out of duty. It won't be, I have to have a quiet time this morning so I can say I've had a quiet... He'll want to. He will pursue godliness out of duty rather than delight. By the way, you should expect this from your pastors and your leaders. So please, I give you a hunting license to ask me, ask your leaders, how am are you doing? You need to hold our feet to the fire on this. Ask us specifically how we're doing. What passage were you reading this morning? What did the Lord say to you from that passage? How's that impacted your life? How's your prayer life? Is it as dry as a bone or do you, are you enjoying your times and seasons with the Lord? Ask us those tough questions because that's what we're called to do. You should expect that and pray for that uh, of your leaders in Christian ministry. And the reason is so that he can guard God's family from satanic attacks. Look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. It's incredibly sad. I, I, I've experienced it a few times in my Christian life. It's incredibly sad when those who have been well-respected Bible teachers, Jesus-loving Bible teachers, go off the rails and abandon the faith and are seduced by demonic deception. That's what happens, that's what Paul said would happen in chapter 4, verse 1. The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. It's incredibly sad when that happens. It's incredibly painful when it happens to people in leadership that you know, which is why Paul, I think, mentions those names of, of two elders that had gone off the rails in chapter 1, verse 20. He's preparing Timothy for those hard, difficult, incredibly painful conversations. And Timothy will have been prepared by this and by his ongoing study of God's word and subsequent church history. Therefore, he will be able to discern and expose and refute error 
when it's being shared in the church. Let me just highlight a few things about this false teaching that Paul was expecting Timothy to confront. One of the marks of false teaching is it is designed, satanically designed, to rob God's people of their enjoyment of God's good creation gifts. There are two good creation gifts that are, are cited here that the false teachers were forbidding people to indulge in, marriage and certain foods. What that does, you see, they forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods. Now, there is, a, there, is a version of, there is an expression of the Christian church where there is a celibate clergy. And the abstinence of certain foods on a certain day. What that does, you see, it creates divisions within the church. Because you have the, the celibate vegan group. I'm not, I'm not having a go at vegans. Honestly, I'm not having a go at vegans. Now, please don't think that. Some of my best friends are vegans, honest. But I, I, I know I'm a Star Trek fan, so you'll be with me on that. Okay, so you'll have this super spiritual group here, and then you'll have the rest, you'll have, you'll have, sorry, you'll have the rest of us lot over here. You'll have two groups, that's what it does. Okay, let me ask you a theological question. Are you with me? Ready? Is Christianity a spiritual reality or a material reality? Is it spiritual or material? Hands up if you think it's spiritual. Hands up if you think it's material. Hands up if you haven't put your hands up. Most of you. Okay. Is Christianity a material religion or a spiritual religion, or both? Both. It's both. Because at the heart of our Christian faith is the reality that our God became flesh and lived a perfect human life in the real material world and died the most violent and painful death in the real material world and was then vindicated by the Spirit when he rose physically, materially, from the dead. That's what chapter 3.16 is all about, which precedes this, doesn't it? Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness, that's what we're talking about, true godliness springs is great. He, that's Jesus, appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up into glory. At the heart of our Christian faith is God becoming flesh and entering the material world. Why? So he could create a new heaven and a new earth with people with physical bodies and enjoy him forever. And Satan would like to split that open. Therefore, you see, what Jesus is doing, what Paul is saying through Timothy, the purpose for which Jesus died, in one sense, is so that we would be free to enjoy God's good creation and receive his good gifts with thanksgiving. Verse 4, chapter 4, verse 4. <clears throat> for everything God created is good. Marriage is good. Food is good. Nothing is to be rejected. 
if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. We are under constant satanic attack from false teaching and false teachers that seek to undermine God's word, to deny God's goodness in the created order. That's why the home is under attack. The marriage is under attack. That's why we have, in our nation, redefined what marriage is. We've recalibrated marriage. It's under satanic attack. God defines what marriage is. It's between one man and one woman for life in a covenant relationship because it's a picture of Christ and his church. The church is under attack. The state is under attack. And all of these things come out in 1 Timothy. And these things cause divisions in the church. Churches are falling out over these things. So what happens is, what do churches do? We spend our time fighting together rather than praying together and sharing Jesus with the lost world. If he can get the church squabbling and fighting, Satan will have done a great victory because we'll shut up talking about Jesus. We'll end up bickering and fighting. So, please keep all the elders in prayer that we would always be alert and discerning. And a good minister will be able to teach God's family well. He will train himself to be godly so he can guard God's flock from satanic attack by teaching God's family God's word. Look at verse 11 and 12. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith and in purity. I think verse 12 is primarily aimed at his pastoral ministry. So he'll have an exemplary, according to Paul, pastoral life. Whatever his age, whether he's young or old, don't let anyone look down on you because you were young. Timothy was a young bloke. Whatever his age, he, the way he lives, the way he functions pastorally will earn him the respect of God's family. So how and when he speaks will be an example of how God's grace is at work in his life. How he conducts himself, not just on Sundays, but in everyday life, it is Christ-like. How he loves the people of God, not just his close friends, but all of God's flock will commend him to us. How his faith in Christ shines through, especially in times of stress, will have a stabilizing effect upon the church. And in purity, how he behaves with women. And he will treat women who aren't his wife, and he'll treat his wife well as well, he will, how he behaves with women, he treats them with dignity and purity. How many Christian leaders have fallen over sexual sin? He'll have an exemplary pastoral life, and, verse 13, he'll have a passionate preaching ministry. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching. So his passion will be to exalt and adore the God of the Bible. So he'll be publicly and, and, and apparently reading Sunday by Sunday. He will be reading God's Word clearly. He will be preaching the Gospel passionately. And he will be teaching it faithfully. 
a very interesting phrase that to teach. It's one of the qualities that an elder must have. He, that's one of the things that Paul put in the list about the qualities. It's not the only qualities, it's one of them. Able to teach. And that's what he's calling Timothy as a full-time minister to, to do. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. He lists those three. Reading, preaching, teaching. This is John Piper's definition of teaching, and I think it's so helpful. The gift of teaching includes the ability to discern how your people are grasping what you say. Not just giving out information, but it actually be able to understand are the people I'm teaching grasping what I'm saying? Are they with me in, the, in, this, in this time? And also what, doing whatever you can to help them see and savour what you have seen in God's word. The role of a Bible teacher is to say, say what you see. Say what you see. Do you see what's in here? That's an incredibly important gift. Therefore, the mark of his ministry will not just be exemplary pastoral life and, pu- and, his, and his public life, but he, his will be a word-centered, Christ-exalting, God-focused, spirit-filled ministry that utilizes the blood-bought gifts of the spirit that have come to him. No wonder Paul says, verse 14, do not neglect your gift which was given you through prophecy. There's another temptation that ministers face. That's to be lazy. (laughs) Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. If God is at work in in the lives of our leaders, that they they will be given over to these God-exalting matters, and progress will be evident to the whole church. You should expect nothing less and pray for much fruit in the lives of your ministers. And finally, a good minister of Christ Jesus will be diligently training himself to be godly so he can guard God's family from satanic attack by teaching God's family God's word, and so save himself and his hearers. Look at verse 16. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. We will see perseverance in his life. Through all the ups and downs, all the battles, all the tears, all the joys... He will keep on keeping on. That's one of the ways you know that as a spirit-filled Christian, they keep on keeping on. (laughs) It's not always the spectacular. In fact, it's 99% of it is perspiration. And just doing it, just getting on with the work, day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, hard work. Backbreaking work, heartbreaking work. Through all the tears and joys. And that's a gift of the Spirit. To keep on keeping on is a gift of the Spirit. 
it's sad to say that some ministers are, are, are leaving the ministry because it's hard work. <laughs> yeah, it is hard work. It's incredibly hard work being stretched across and nailed to a cross of wood to die in the place of God's people. Perseverance. And through God's word ministered to us by this man in the power of the Spirit, we're going to make it home to our final and ultimate destination forever. Because you will, if you do, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. Not, in the, not, not dying for the, for, for the church, but actually making sure as the, as, the, as the guide, the spiritual guide, the pastor of the church, will get God's people home to glory. See, the goal of all Christian ministers and all Christian leaders is to keep on looking to Jesus so they're able to guard the church, feed the church, and by God's grace lead his people home to be with him forever. No wonder Paul says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word reveals your glory. Thank you that your word reveals your practical hands-on love and care for the church. We ask and pray, Heavenly Father, as we move into this very important phase of considering someone else to join the pastoral team here, that you would make us very wise and clear. We thank you for the gifts that you've given. The risen Christ has gifted the church. Thank you for those who are in leadership in this church. Thank you for those who are going into positions of leadership in not just this church, but other churches as well. We ask and pray, Heavenly Father, that those who are called into positions of leadership would train themselves to be godly, to be like Jesus day in, day out, week in, week out, to guard the flock from satanic attack, even from within, and to feed and nourish God's people so we all make it home to be with Jesus forever. So help us to do what Paul says, to keep watch over ourselves and all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made us overseers. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please stand with the musicians as we sing our closing.